Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is me, Elizabeth Benton, and I am really excited for today's episode partly because I'm a science geek. I'm not going to lie about it. I am absolutely a science geek. But more than that, I'm excited because I think today's topic is one that a lot of people haven't really given much thought to, even though I kind of get questions indirectly about it on a regular basis. And here's what I mean. I get a lot of emails and requests for a show on detoxification, and consider this that show. But here's the, here's the wrinkle, here's the twist. When people think about detox, they really think about it in the wrong way. They're thinking things like, should I do a juice detox? Should I do warm lemon water? Should I take these expensive pills? And it's kind of like, no, you're, you're kind of missing the issue. How about we identify the most significant toxins and we eliminate our exposure to them instead of just temporarily suspending it while we pump green juice into our system, you know? Because the reality is, yes, there are toxins and we are exposed to them on a very regular basis and they do place a very real burden on our health and on our ability to burn fat, some more than others. They can, in a very real way, impair fat loss. But we tend to misunderstand what is required for detoxification, all right? It's kind of like the probiotic issue, and I've done an episode on this before, but a lot of people say like, oh, should I take probiotic supplements? And I say, You'd get much better results if you took care of your microbiome so that the bugs that are naturally present in your body, the healthy bugs naturally present in your body, don't die because of the toxic environment in your gut, right? And so my approach with detox and toxins is kind of the same thing. The most powerful way to really detox and help our body reduce that toxic burden is to remove the toxins that are putting us at risk in the first place, right? And the reality is there are toxins everywhere. We can't avoid them completely. They're in our water. And I did an episode where I talked about some of the most common toxins in water and why it's so important to get a water filter and some of the best water filters out there on the market. I'll link to that episode in the show notes a while back. But there are a specific class of toxins that I want to talk about today, and they're called obesogens, like obesity and pathogen kind of combined, obesogen. And they are increasing in their impact on obesity and failure to lose weight because of their growing 
prevalence, all right? So I wanna talk about what they are, what they do, how we can reduce our exposure, and for the obesogens that are already accumulating in our system because we've previously been exposed to them and maybe we haven't been able to eliminate them on our own, how we can excrete those or eliminate those that are already accumulating in our bodies. So obesogens are exogenous chemicals. So exogenous is the opposite of endogenous. Exogenous means they come in from the outside as opposed to endogenous, which would mean we create them in our own body. So obesogens come from the outside and they either trigger fat storage, so putting on body fat, or they impair fat burning. And obesogens are a part of a class of chemicals that maybe you have heard of before called endocrine disruptors. So endocrine refers to your endocrine system, the hormone signaling system in your body. So endocrine disruptors are exogenous from the outside chemicals that interfere with any aspect at all of hormone action. So obesogens are like a subset so obesogens, by definition, interfere with our hormones, and they do so in a way that contributes to obesity and either triggers fat storage or impairs fat burning. Obesogens have been linked to obesity, diabetes, metabolic syndrome. Many of them have also been linked to cancer, but today we're going to talk about the way that they impact our ability to burn fat. So the way they change how our fat cells work, how they mess with our appetite sensors in our body. And sometimes these obesogens mimic real hormones, like actual hormones in our body. And other times they prevent hormones or interfere with the signaling of other hormones. And obesogens can do a lot of different things. We're going to talk about two of them specifically today, two of the obesogens, the most common ones. But they can increase the number of fat cells in our body, basically creating more opportunity and more locations for fat to be stored. And they can also increase the amount of fat stored in these fat cells. So they can sort of like shuttle fat to the fat cells to be stored. And they can reprogram cells that are not fat cells to become fat cells, like recruiting cells in the body to go be fat storage cells. We don't want that. They can also interfere with your metabolic rate and interfere with your appetite and your satiety signals or feelings of fullness. So they affect hunger signaling as well as satiety signaling, right? Two different things there, but both having an impact on what we eat, when we eat, and how much we eat. And they can impact the liver, creating insulin resistance. And we talk about how insulin is so important for fat loss, so they can mess with your body's metabolism and use of insulin. They also impair cells in the pancreas, beta cells for the science geeks out there. And beta cells do two things. Not only do they produce insulin, right, which we know is so important for fat loss, but they also, they also create another hormone that can slow the rate at which glucose enters the blood. And so by messing with this, they can increase our blood sugar. These obesogens can make it so that 
foods that would normally impact our blood sugar impact our blood sugar even more, all right? So neither of those are things we really want. And we started actually theorizing, or scientists really started theorizing about these obesogens like 10 years ago, 2006. But it hasn't really hit the mainstream. It's starting to more and more now, but it's it's a sales thing, right? Like there's a lot of companies with a lot of political and financial influence that make a lot of money, billions of dollars off of products that contain these obesogens, right? So back in 2006, it was just a hypothesis, the obesogen hypothesis that suggested that there were certain chemicals that were playing a part in the obesity epidemic. Now, here we are 10 years later, and it's very much a fact, okay? So let's talk about specific obesogens, all right? We have to think about what the role of fat in our body is. Not just like the accumulation of fat and what purpose that serves, but each fat cell. Its role is to store energy and then to release it when needed. Kind of like a fuel gauge in your car. Your body fat is like the fuel gauge for your body, right? It lets you know what's going on, how your fuel reserves are looking in case of an emergency. The way that it's intended to work is to signal you with lower appetite when your fat stores go up so that you eat less, right? So when your fat stores go up, lower appetite so that you don't overaccumulate fat and then trigger you with more appetite when your fat stores go down so that you eat more and supply that storage space with more fuel. But here's the here's the kind of where things get a little bit wonky. When you have toxins in your body that interfere with your fat cells, they impair that signaling. It's like your fuel gauge breaks. The fat cells can't communicate as well and they get confused. So they might take on too much fat. They might add more fat cells unnecessarily or not release stored fat from your adipose tissue when your body needs fuel, right? That's, that's not good. The other thing we have to keep in mind is that when we talk about these obesogens, these kinds of chemicals, they are lipophilic, lipophilic, and it's going back to science class here, but lipophilic means fat loving, okay? So the opposite of that would be like lipophobic. You, you're probably familiar with that term in terms of water. Hydrophobic means it stays away from water, and hydrophilic means it likes water. So lipophilic, these obesogens being lipophilic, means they're drawn to the fat. So they accumulate there. That's why they have such a big impact in that fat tissue. We want to reduce our exposure, and then we want to eliminate toxic storage in our body fat. It's important to keep in mind that these toxins, because they're lipophilic, they are stored in our body fat tissue, and that makes it harder for us to burn fat. So when we eliminate these toxins, 
fat burning becomes much easier, all right? And when we reduce our exposure to them and get them out of our systems, our body functions more optimally. Our hormone balance, which is a requirement for fat burning, can bring about what it needs to related to fat burning. So that's what we really want. These obesogens are real and they impact your fat burning potential in a major way. But you might be thinking, so if they're dangerous and if they lead to obesity and if they're linked to cancer and metabolic syndrome and diabetes, why are they allowed? And it's a great question and there isn't a great answer, but there is an answer. So back in 1976 in the U.S., I know I have a lot of international listeners, so I'm talking about legislation in the United States. But in 1976, there was a law passed called the Toxic Substances Control Act. Back in 1976, it's called the Toxic Substances Control Act. But here's the rub. In true political fashion, it grandfathered in about 62,000 chemicals that were already in use. So basically it said, oh, well, you've been you've been out here for a while now. So, you know, we don't want to subject you to these new regulations. You're all set. Keep doing what you're doing. (sighs) No, but yes. The other thing to keep in mind is that with this Toxic Substances Control Act, it doesn't really do much to control anything except registering a new chemical because 85% of new chemical applications, like a company that says, hey, we've created this new chemical and we want to use it, 85% of those new applications are submitted with absolutely zero testing data for safety. Why? because it's not required, because it is not required. This Toxic Substances Control Act is really about registration and has almost nothing to do with safety. Here's what is horrifying and hopefully will change over time as consumers demand it, but the EPA, well, let me back up. The company, when they register a new chemical, like, hey, we created this you know, Franken cocktail and we wanna use it, This company does not have to prove safety. That is not required. They do not have to prove safety. The EPA has the burden of proving that something is unsafe. The company does not have to prove it is safe. The EPA has to prove that it is unsafe. Of course, proving that takes a lot of time and money and resources and consumers, right? But here's where it gets even crazier. The EPA can only request information about the chemical from the company, like starting point, like what is it, how was it made, all like what does it look like, what's the chemical structure. The EPA can only ask for that data if the EPA has already proven that the chemical is dangerous. But how can it prove it? It's like a virtually impossible task. How can it prove that it's dangerous when it doesn't even have the initial data on truly identifying the chemical outside of whatever name it goes by to the company to begin with? So crazy. So anyway, I I want you guys to understand that because it's very important when it comes to, well, if we know these are dangerous, why are they allowed? So what I want to do is tell you about 
two of the most common obesogens, what they do, where they're found, how to avoid them, and then steps you can take to detox your body since chances are they're probably already in your tissues in your blood. So the first one I want to talk about is one you've probably heard about, and that is BPA, bisphenol A. And this has a huge impact on estrogen and insulin. What's crazy is that BPA was initially created back in the 1930s as a synthetic estrogen. So BPA, what we now associate with plastics, when we think BPA, most of us think of like water bottles, it was originally created as a synthetic or a fake estrogen. It is an estrogen mimic. That's why it was created. It was only by accident that years later, chemists discovered that it could be really used effectively in plastics, either to make plastics soft and pliable or as what's called an epoxy resin. Think like lining, all right? So it started being used in baby bottles to make them more flexible, in water bottles, in eyeglass lenses, in medical equipment like tubing and IVs, um, in uh, toys, of course, obviously, chew toys for kids, they're chewy and they're plastic, cell phones, electronics, you name it, BPA is everywhere. And that's just from the sort of pliability side of things. When we think about epoxy resins, they are used in tons of food containers, lining of cans, or um, really any kind of like plastic-ish packaging where you don't want things to leak or like go through. That's what a resin kind of helps to do. But they're also used in, in coatings in industrial settings and in cars um, to make dental sealants and flame retardants. It is huge. It is used everywhere. 12 billion pounds per year used of EPA. 12 billion with a B pounds per year. That is so major. Now here's one thing that we have to remember when it comes to BPA. The BPA leaches like I don't know another word to say to make that clear. It like goes into the product that it's up against. It leaches into that as the plastic breaks down, okay? And that happens when we heat or it happens if it's up against an acidic food or beverage. So, and it also uh, leaches with repeated washing. So if you think about baby bottles that have EPA and the more you wash them, the more it leaches. Or you think about the lining of, say, a can of tomatoes that's very acidic. The BPA leaches into the tomatoes. Or if you think about plastic Tupperware and you heat it up, the BPA leaches into the food, all right? The other thing to keep in mind is that BPA is biologically active in the human body at very low levels, like parts per trillion with a T, parts per trillion. So we see biological activity at extremely low levels. And there are over 75 human studies, not like crazy rat studies, human studies showing adverse health effects with bisphenol A, BPA. And as it relates to fat loss, and there are tons of different impacts, but as it relates to fat loss from the obesogen side of things, we see estrogen dominance because 
Remember, BPA was initially created as a synthetic estrogen, as an estrogen mimic. Estrogen dominance is seen in a lot of people, both men and women, not just women, men and women, um, in, it's seen in women with PCOS, right? And estrogen dominance makes weight loss way more challenging than it needs to be. Kind of side note, not related to obesity, but related to this estrogen dominance, this is why we see, one of many reasons why we see puberty onset so much younger, because these synthetic estrogens are being introduced oftentimes on a daily basis, starting in utero, right? Like pregnant women exposing their growing fetus to these synthetic estrogens. So some of the other risks associated with BPA related to fat loss, insulin resistance, right? And if you aren't sure what insulin has to do with fat loss, definitely listen to episode 5858 of the Primal Potential podcast because I go into it in a lot of detail there. But that makes fat loss really, really tough and it triggers cravings and hunger and energy instability, BPA also leads to glucose intolerance, which is kind of tied to insulin resistance, but your body just doesn't metabolize sugar as efficiently, and that sets you up to be in storage mode more often than you are in fat burning mode. And then it also impacts the function of your beta cells, which produce insulin. So it's influencing insulin on a number of levels. So what do we do to avoid our exposure to BPA? That's what I want to really emphasize, guys. Even though it can be frustrating that these these obesogens, these chemicals in general are in so many places, there is a lot we can do to reduce our exposure. So I want to talk about that. First of all, As best you can, stay away from plastic products. I know that can be tough because plastics are everywhere, but you do not need to drink out of a plastic water bottle. And even if it says BPA-free, obviously it's better if it's BPA-free than if it's not. But I want to remind you that when a company comes up with an alternative to BPA, they are not required to prove safety of that substance. So in a lot of cases, the replacement chemical is no better than the original. It's just that the EPA has not had the time or the resources or the money to prove that it is unsafe. They have effectively proven that BPA is unsafe, yet it is still in wide scale use. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So as best you can, limit your use of plastic products. Now, when you do consume anything out of plastic, look on the bottom and you'll see that little recycling arrow. It's like two connected arrows in a triangle kind of thing, and there's a number on the inside, okay? You want to stay away from, for sure, for sure, again, staying away from plastics as much as possible is best, but if you have to eat out of a plastic product or drink out of a plastic product, you want to avoid anything that has the number three or seven inside that little arrow triangle on the bottom or on the on the side, on the lower part, okay? So if it says three or seven inside that little triangle, that recycling triangle, stay away from it. You are safer with the numbers one, two, four, five, and six. So stay away from threes and sevens, all right? Stay away from plastic, but if you have to, go for one, two, four, five, six, and stay away from three and seven. If you do buy plastic, 
look for things that say BPA-free, but again, using glass or stainless steel is a better option. If you are going to use plastics, do not heat them. Do not put your Tupperware, even if it's BPA-free, because remember, um, BPS is one of the substitutions for BPA. It's, it's basically the same thing. It's, I mean, it's really not much better. Um, so put it in glass before you heat it up or in anything really paper. I don't really care. Just not plastic, okay? Because the heat is going to accelerate the leaching of the BPA into the food. And again, if you're gonna use plastics, don't store acidic things like say tomato sauce in the plastics. Don't buy plastic toys for your kids. And again, you might be thinking, oh, this is impossible. Everything's plastic. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. We might be most used to things that are plastic because they're inexpensive. But I mean, think outside the box. Most things are not plastic. And honestly, think about how much of the plastic goes right into your kid's mouth, right? I think that thinking outside of the box for wooden toys or <laughs> books and puzzles. What's wrong with books and puzzles? Um... You don't want BPA in their mouth. It's synthetic estrogen, right? If you think, oh my gosh, that's so hard. Okay, so you'd rather have them have the frozen doll and put BPA, a synthetic estrogen, directly into their mouth than not have the frozen doll? Might be, might be something to rethink there. And I know that's strong for me to say, but I feel really strongly about it. Um, all right. Don't, if you don't need it, and I posted this on Instagram and Facebook the other day, if you do not need your receipt do not take your receipt because BPA, we are most exposed to BPA from paper receipts. And the worst part about it, you know how they feel kind of glossy? The BPA is not bound to the paper. So it's not like it requires the heat or the acid in leaching. The BPA is right on the surface of the paper, not bound to it. And so think about it. You take the receipt and how many times do your hands touch your face or your mouth or your eyes in a given day? Not to mention the fact that your skin is a porous organ. And so it can, it can get into your body that way. But if you don't need receipts, do not take them. If you do need the receipt, wash your hands. And it's important to say that some states in the United States have banned BPA in receipt paper, like New York State has done so, but very, very few have done so. And I'm going to link in the show notes, if you go to primalpotential.com, on the homepage, hit the podcast tab, you'll see all the episodes I've ever done in the order of what was most recent right there. That's the show notes. Um, I will link to a website that has the BPA restrictions by state. There are not many states that have outlawed the use of BPA in receipt paper, but some like New York State have. And it's important to also say, and this is why I posted about it on Facebook and Instagram, Whole Foods, for example, uses BPA-free paper. So you might request, I think that as consumers, we should really speak up more. If whatever store you frequent, ask them to switch to BPA receipt paper. And again, if you do not need your receipt and you aren't sure if it's BPA-free paper or not, just don't take it. Just don't take it. And if you do take it, wash your hands. So there are, like I said, about 12 states that have passed policies limiting BPA exposure, but they're not limited to um, receipts. Like some states have banned it in sports bottles and some have banned it in children's toys. Um, in Canada, 
in 2008, they were the first government in the world to declare that BPA is hazardous to human health, and they were the first to ban it from baby bottles, right? Um, and then a couple years later, they made further restrictions. Uh, in the European Union, they, they banned it from baby bottles. France has banned it from all food packaging for children and for adults. But if you're curious about your state and what, if any, restrictions there are, you can check out the link uh, to see the restrictions based on the state. Another recommendation, and this is related to, I've been drinking out of plastic bottles and heating up my food in Tupperware for years, and eat cruciferous vegetables, right? That's honestly, because I have a history with polycystic ovarian syndrome and estrogen dominance, and I drank out of plastic bottles and all sorts of stuff for years and years, this is one of the major reasons I eat so many cruciferous vegetables, right? Because this is why, this is what it has to do with BPA. These cruciferous vegetables, which is things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, cabbage, they are powerful estrogen detoxifiers. They help your body metabolize and excrete extra estrogen, including estrogen-like compounds. Now, you get more benefit from this when you eat them raw. However, I would encourage you, if you are eating them for the sake of detoxification, to buy organic, okay? So eat a lot of those cruciferous vegetables, eat them raw when you can, and if you're trying to detox, buy them organic. Things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, and cabbage. All right, let's talk about the second obesogen I want to get to today, and that is, this is an acronym, I'll tell you what it means, PF. OA. P is in Peter, F is in Frank, O is in Oscar, A is in Apple. Perfluorooctanic acid. You probably know it as Teflon. Teflon. But this is not just in your pots and pans, unfortunately, because if it was, that would be an easy fix. It's in a ton of things that you don't want anything to stick to, whether it's utensils, right? or the inside of food containers, like microwave popcorn bags to keep the popcorn from sticking to the side, or like those hot pocket sleeve linings um, to keep the food from sticking. And they're also in clothing, like um, wicking, rain-resistant clothing. And this is a man-made chemical. It's also known as C8, C8, and it's used most frequently in Teflon and Teflon-like products. Now, the challenge is, when it gets heated, and it's not just an issue in things that are heated, but specifically when it gets heated, this PFOA starts to break apart. And it, when that happens, when it breaks apart from heat or for other reasons, it emits toxins. And it's crazy because if you look closely at the packaging of Teflon pans, for example, they'll tell you to avoid high temperatures, which is so freaking crazy to me because it's like, it's for cooking. Like, I'm not putting my Teflon pan in the freezer, for crying out loud, you know? The other thing about PFOAs is they're not just an obesogen. They're also a very potent 
carcinogen. And more than 200 scientists around the world have signed uh, petitions to basically voice the dangers of these PFOAs, but they're so profitable for these big chemical companies that we don't see a lot of progress here. Again, one will be removed. A company will say, oh, we're going to phase this out, but then they create another one. And because of the laws in the United States, at least, they don't have to prove the safety. So it's basically having the same impact in the human body, right? What we see when it comes to PFOAs is that they really screw with our appetite and our satiety. So they mess up the signaling of the body for hunger and satiety. So we see that we are not satisfied as easily and our hunger returns very quickly because our fat cell signaling that's meant to tell us when to eat more and when to stop eating, it gets really screwed up. And that is one of the biggest things we see with these PFOAs as it relates to fat loss. But we also see a lot of reproductive issues with PFOA exposure. So how do we avoid PFOAs? Obviously, I mean, this is strong and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Throw away your Teflon cookware. It's not worth it. It's getting heated up. Like, don't do it. If we know there's another way, stainless steel or, um, oh, what's the other thing I'm thinking of? Oh, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, but stay away from or minimize your use of anything that has like um, a stain treatment like when you, if you have new furniture delivered, this happened to me not that long ago, and the delivery guys want to spray it with like the stain protectant stuff. Mm -mm, nope, uh -uh, not having it because then you're getting airborne PFOAs. No, thank you. The other place we often see PFOAs is in like fast food wrappers or carryout containers because they don't want the food to stick to the paper or the cardboard. So cut back on that stuff. Like if you're going to eat out, then don't get it to go because it'll be served on a glass plate instead of, well, I guess it depends on where you go, but stay away from it. I was thinking like, you're not getting a glass plate at McDonald's, but I wasn't thinking McDonald's. I was thinking Chinese. But anyway, stay away from any of those fast food or carry out containers because most of those wrappers are treated with this particular class of chemicals. And really think twice about if you need clothing that has like the Gore-Tex technology or Teflon technology, how important is it that it wicks the moisture when this means that it has these PFOA or PFOA-like chemicals, right? Avoid nonstick pans, kitchen utensils, stainless steel or cast iron is really the way to go. And stay away from microwave popcorn. The inside of the bag is coated with these anti-stick, non-stick chemicals to keep the popcorn from sticking. Now, here's one that I didn't know. And when I was reading about this, I was like, oh, this makes me so mad. You know what is coated with Teflon-like chemicals? And I'm not picking on Teflon, but it's just this class of chemicals that's non-stick freaking dental floss and if you don't know this about me I'm a little bit of like a freak about dental floss and I floss my teeth a lot like five or six times a day because I just like the feeling um and I'm just weird about my teeth but uh yeah I was using oral b floss and sure enough these non-stick chemicals are on there to make it glide against your teeth more easily so that was the end of that. I threw it away and I got Tom's floss. You're probably familiar with Tom's. They have deodorant and toothpaste. They also have dental floss that is not coated with these non-stick chemicals. And so 
A, floss your teeth, but B, try to floss with something like Tom's. Tom's advertises that they do not use these nonstick chemicals. Now, there's an amazing article. I need to link to it in the show notes. I'm making myself a mental note because I don't have a pen right here. There is an amazing article about a very large and well-known chemical company and the great lengths they went to to not disclose the dangers of the chemical they were using that is the chemical in Teflon pans um, from their customers, from the public. It's long, but honestly, I think that it's worth the read for absolutely everybody, and I will link to it in the show notes for this article. So I, I want to wrap up by saying these are, I talked about two, and I'm not picking on BPA or PFOAs, but they are two of the most common ones that we are exposed to in the most significant ways. Uh, so I wanted to bring them to your attention. But I also don't want you to be discouraged and walk away going, oh my gosh, there's chemicals everywhere. There's also a lot we can do. There's a lot we can do. Eating whole foods is a huge way to reduce our exposure. When we're not eating sugar and processed foods, we're avoiding a lot of these chemicals and we're naturally supporting our body's ability to excrete them when we are exposed to them, right? We lower our defenses when we put junk in our body because our body's so busy dealing with the junk that it can't deal with the toxins as they come in. Also, avoid plastics whenever you can. Go with glass, go with stainless steel, but as best you can, minimize your use of plastics and plastic products. Get a water filter. This is super important. I did a whole episode on it that I will link to in the show notes. And throw away your Teflon. Go with stainless steel, cast iron. It's worth it. This stuff gets basically airborne and leaches into the food with heat. And there's just no need for that in a cooking appliance. Like it's wrong. And hopefully one day it will be banned completely. But until that day, you do have another option. So gradually phase out your use of Teflon. Replace those pots, pans, baking tins, whatever, with uh, glass or stainless steel or cast iron. Um, all right, let's wrap up with what I ate yesterday. As I shared the other day, I'm doing this 14-day flake, flake flavor, <laughs> flavor, flavor, fake flavor challenge with a lot of you guys. So I had coffee with coconut oil before my workout. Oh, then after that, oh, this is what I did. So I took a bunch of uh, bone broth, chicken bone broth, and I put it in the Vitamix with a bag of broccoli, like frozen broccoli, frozen organic broccoli, and made the most amazing soup. It was so good. I had that after my workout and I had more a little bit later. And then dinner was like totally lame and simple, but really delicious. I caramelized some onions and some tomato and made a really big omelet. And it was delicious. It was wonderful. I loved every bite of it. And it was super easy. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have questions, if you're not sure of stuff, if you want more resources, definitely check out the show notes. There's a lot of the research over there. Um, but I hope this was helpful. It's not to scare you. It's meant to empower you. It's meant to get you to a point where you're really taking charge of your health and your family's health because that's what we're all about, right? So I'll see you guys soon. I hope you have a great day. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or 
go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.